Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. I'm glad you've joined us for another podcast, and I hope you've enjoyed the recent series that we've been doing on the nature of the general rules of the United Societies. If you haven't checked that out yet, go ahead. And uh, before we get into today's podcast, just want to remind you, or you might not know, uh, our podcast was doing pretty well when we were carried on Facebook, and then Facebook stopped doing podcasts. So um, anyway, we could use some promotion if you know someone who's connected to the church, um, make sure that they're signed up for the podcast so that they're able to listen and learn alongside us if they're not with us in worship. Um, okay, so today's episode is uh, the time and the word from this last Sunday. We're covering Philippians chapter 4. My favorite section deals with uh, facilitating the reconciliation between people who don't get along in the church. And uh, so that's, that's one theme of a few that we cover. There's a lot of intersection, obviously, with the three chapters that came before. This coming Sunday, we're going to read through all four chapters. Um, and I would, I would urge you to, to do that with us. It's just important to, to have as much exposure to this as possible and to see how it's all connected and, and to feel like we understand it. So uh, I hope... This one is is meaningful for you, and make sure to join us for the next one as well. All right, let's dive in. Well, I'm ready to uh, go into our Bibles. Is there anything else that needs to be said coming out of this time of prayer, of thinking about our nation, or are you all ready to to go into our Bibles? Okay, I'd invite you to pick up your pew Bibles. We're going to page 1826. And they're going to do their best in the back to, to go where I go, but, you know, I jump around as I preach through this. So it's good for you all to have this open and see how everything's laid out for yourselves. And as in previous weeks, I'm just going to preach through the whole chapter. I'm going to do my best to make sure that every bit of it is as understandable as possible. And then, so that you don't forget it, next Sunday, it's my intention to read through all four chapters of Philippians from the pulpit I might preach a little bit more next week, but the bulk is going to be just reading through and making sure that you understand and that you feel like you know this book. My, I told you my intention when we started this is that when we're done, you feel like, I know Philippians. Philippians, I can tell you how it's impacted my faith. Here's what it teaches me. Here's what I lean upon in times of trial. We're going to find some stuff that we can lean upon in times of trial in, in chapter 4. Um, uh, but I don't want this to be, I feel like a lot of times people show up to worship and they're like, okay, just give me the message, but don't try and make me hold on to it, preacher. And I am very firmly pushing back and saying, I want you to hold on to this for yourself. And there are going to be parts that you are drawn to, I want you to hold on to and love. There are other parts that you don't like and they correct you, and I want you to hold on to those too. Uh, because that's the whole point of scripture. Honestly, nobody cares what Jeffrey Rickman thinks. I mean, I know you do, but as you, if you get out and you meet other people at other churches in this town, as you try, nobody cares what I think. Nobody cares what I'm not offering this stuff to you so that you will know what I think. I'm offering this to you. I'm spending this time with you so that you can know what God has revealed. And so you can tell other people what his holy word says. Um, I, I, I don't know why people care what preachers think in their opinions as much as they do 
what matters is what God has revealed. God hath said, we're going to spend time on that now, and then we're going to have communion. So um, let's look at chapter 4. Are we all there? Page 1826. Listen to the word of God. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So this is, he's already been preaching at him for three chapters. Is Philippians a happy letter or a mad letter? He's been happy. He's been happy with him. He's writing from prison. They've been doing very well. They've supported him, sent him goods to keep him alive while he's in prison. Even though he's getting persecuted while he's in prison, the church in Philippi have been good friends to him. And so he's saying, you received the word from us very well. You've been a true church. He's going he's gonna, to uh, uh, encourage them more here now. But this is a happy letter. And so here he calls, he says, I love you, I long for you, you are my joy and my crown. And then he just encourages them, as he already has, stand firm in these things we've been talking about. One of the scriptural exhortations, encouragements that you find in almost every book of the New Testament is stand firm, endure, persevere. The Greek word is hupomone, it means keep going, don't give up, stand firm. You find that in almost every book of the New Testament, it's very important. So he returns to it over and over. Verse 2. I plead with Eudoia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. These are female names. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, the book of life is referred to several places in Scripture. On the day of judgment, the books will be opened and everything about what everybody has said and done is going to be revealed. There is nothing hidden that won't be revealed. But the book of life has the names of those who will be saved written in it. And in Revelation, the threat is behave and endure, persevere to the end. Otherwise, I will blot out your names from the book of life. So the book of life has the names of the saved in there. He's saying Clement, Eudoia, Syntyche, their names have all been listed in the book of life. They are all God's elect. We have all worked together. But Eudoia and Syntyche are not getting along. I know this church has never seen anything like this, but some churches, there are people that lock horns and they don't get along in the church. Um, I remember in Richfield, Idaho, a church I preached at, there were two ladies that had a hard time getting along sometimes. And uh, one was just kind of prickly. I could tell I offended her sometimes. And then the other one was just simple and uh, had good intentions, but she just couldn't consider other people's feelings sometimes. And so I gave a sermon on this topic one time saying we all have to do ministry together and learn to love one another and even like one another so that we can be in shared ministry together. And these women had resented each other for some time, but after I gave that sermon, it was one of these weird times that people actually listened to what I said from the pulpit and did something about it. And one showed up at the other's doorstep and said, all right, Jeffrey preached what he did and he pointed it out in the scriptures. We need to hash this out. And the other said, okay, come in. And they sat down and they had tea and they prayed together. And they didn't like each other a whole lot more when that was over. So the next week they prayed together some more. And over the years that I was there, I was there for six years, five years. They prayed together many more times. And I would see one offend the other and the other kind of get upset and then let it go. I would just see, I would see the whole thing happen on their face. I would watch them. I'd go, I go, I know what's my, and I knew that they forgave each other. They would get together and pray together regularly because they wanted the God's gospel to be proclaimed in the, the town of 
Richfield, and they were not going to let personal silliness stand in the way of that. Now, is that uh, the most complicated rocket science thing in the world for somebody to do? No, it's very simple. I have to get along. In God's, God's light, I'm going to pray with this person. Now, just because it's simple, does that make it easy? No. Do you have somebody you really just don't like? Might be me. Might be me. I'm not very likable. But the thing is, we're called to love one another, and it's so helpful to pray over the ones we don't like. Pray over the ones that really, ah, oh, they just get under my skin. But especially if they're in the church, same church, if we're sharing in the church, how awful is it if there's work that needs to get done, and you're going, nope, can't be on a committee with that lady. She drives me nuts. No, no. Now, it's one thing if there's someone in the church who just doesn't know and love Jesus, and they're in it for other reasons. In that case, yeah, we need to, we need to, we need to help them out the door. But if everybody here loves Jesus and they're serving him and their names are written in the book of life, God help us if we can't get along. So that's what's going on here with Eudoya and Syndicate. Paul is saying, y'all, help these ladies get along. There is no good reason why they should be feuding this way. Okay, uh, let's move on. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Do you think he meant this? I think he means everything he says once, but he really means it. He says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Does always mean some of the time? It means always. This is just a very simple, very clear, very hard thing to do. Because if you're like me, you have days where you don't feel so good. But remember, where is Paul writing this letter from? Prison. They're not feeding him. They don't have toilets in prison. They don't have toilet paper in prison. They don't have heating and air conditioning. They don't have TV in his prison. I'm not talking about nowadays. I'm talking about back then. They didn't have food. They didn't feed him in prison. He had to have people come and visit and bring him stuff. And he has people actively persecuting him in prison. He told us in chapter 1. And yet he's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. That's a pretty tall order for someone. In, uh, have, any, have any of you ever been in a similar situation to Paul here? Somebody has a story if, man, if you've ever been like lost on a desert island or something, that maybe competes with what Paul went through. But he's being persecuted. Not only is he alone, but he's persecuted by those around him. Actually, he has a team with him, too. This is about as bad as it gets, and yet he's saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. We'll come back to this theme here in a second. Verse 5, Let your gentleness be evident to all. That means, let everybody see you be gentle. This is hard for me. I'm not a very gentle man. And nobody had never called me a gentleman. But he's, Sarah Beth is the only one who laughs at that. Man, I've gotten her brainwashed, don't I? <laughs> Laughing at my worst jokes. Oh, yeah, it's a weird thing to say. Yeah, I'm not very gentlemanly. Uh, and that's what gentleman comes from. But yeah, let your gentleness be known to all. That's such a, it, that doesn't even fit in with what came before or what came afterwards. But if you're like me and you're kind of hard, I remember I wrote a poem. I was just feeling like I was a really mean person in my sophomore year of high school, and the poem went like this. My heart is hard and small and full of meanness. And that just sat on the front of my, I just, I felt crappy, and I saw that every day for the rest of my, my, my school year. That's who I am on the inside, but the Lord has, 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 worked a new thing in me and he's caused me to be soft where I was hard he's called me to be caused me to be smooth where I was rough 
And he calls, he calls me to show that to other people, to be more kind than I'm naturally inclined to be. So maybe, maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you're too kind and you don't stand firm enough for Jesus. But I think this scripture is here for people like me. I made that about me a little too much. Um, all right, verse 5, we just did. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. This is another way of saying do not fear, right? Which we find all over the Old and New Testament. Do not fear, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, I think he means that literally, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, remember he said rejoice at all times, present your requests to God. In everything, all the time, present your requests to God. How do you present a request to God? Pray. Pray. Does it help to get on your knees when you're petitioning? I think so. Does it help to speak it out loud? I think so. When you really want something, I, I don't think it's this kind of polite, silent, nobody can tell you're doing it. I think it is down on your knees, lifting up your hands. Lord, hear my prayer. How often are we petitioning the Lord? Because there's something that comes out of that. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is the opposite of being anxious. He's saying, don't be anxious. Instead, have this daily way of life where you are regularly, always, without ceasing, praying to God. And then this peace that is not even understandable will guard your hearts and minds. Does that sound nice? The condition is that you lead your life in God's sight. That you are regularly approaching God and saying, God, here's what my heart is feeling. Here's what I'm wanting to do. God, tell me what to do. Here's what I would love to see. God, glorify yourself. Do this. Through, through prayer and thanks, with the spirit of thanksgiving, constantly praying to God. Now, is that a rocket science complicated thing to do? Once again, it's simple, but it's difficult because we feel like our lives are about us, right? I look in the mirror. I don't see God. I see me. I go around. I interact with people. They're talking to me. They're not talking to God. But in everything, I'm supposed to be bringing God into it. I'm supposed to be praying to God. I'm supposed to be doing his will. I'm supposed to make it about him. My life is not my own. I have a savior. He has purchased me with his blood. I am his, and I share my life with him. Verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So once again, he's still on this theme of what do you do to get peace? How do you have peace in your life? He gives you this list of virtues. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. These eight things. He says reflect on those things. Conform your life to these things. And then if you're still not clear, look at Paul and how he lived and conform your life to that. Because the thing is... The Bible is an excellent rule book, and it addresses all kinds of situations in life. But I know none of you ever do this, but um, you ever notice how it doesn't talk about uh, sinning in your car in the Bible? And how it doesn't, any, it doesn't anywhere say that road rage is a sin. 
Nowhere does it say that I can't flip the bird to someone who cuts me off. Nowhere does it say I can't tailgate somebody who's upsetting me. So I guess those things aren't sins, right? Is that how it works? You know it's not. There are a lot of people who, who they, they smoke pot. They love marijuana. Oh, man, they, they, they can't talk about the ganja enough. Oh, they think it's great. You know, there's no scripture about marijuana. You know, it says God made every green herb for our enjoyment. Is that really how it is? If you read your Bible, you know we're told to be sober-minded and alert. Marijuana doesn't do that. We're told to be firm, to stand firm. Marijuana doesn't help you do that. And moreover, Scripture doesn't at all point to using substances to become who we ought to be. Rather, there's a regular exhortation to, to discipline ourselves. Smoking pot's the opposite of discipline. So there are things that are explicitly written in Scripture, but we have to apply those things to our everyday life. There's no Scriptures about pot. There's no Scriptures about driving. Even so, Scripture directs us how we should do both of those things, or if we should do, and how we should do those things. We shouldn't be taking drugs in order to achieve anything. There are a lot of people who swear by mushrooms, LSD. They say it helps you rewire your brain, not be depressed, get rid of addictions. It's cheating, and it's wrong. Beware of unearned wisdom. We're supposed to do the hard work of, of spiritual discipline day in and day out. That's why Christ says, take up your cross daily and follow me. That's why we're told to do hard things like confess our sins and repent. That's how we rewire our brains. That's how we become a different person. And moreover, the Holy Spirit is necessary for those things, not drugs. When we're looking at how we behave and the things we do, we need to be thinking on those virtues, those qualities that are lifted up here. Is it true? The, way, the thing I'm wanting to do, is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? This thing I'm wanting to do, this way I'm wanting to behave, is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? Can I imagine Paul, Peter, the early apostles doing it? Can I imagine Jesus doing it? You know, we used to have those bracelets everybody wore, WWJD. What would Jesus do? It was corny, but it was a very helpful way to go through life. Hold everything up against the standard of Jesus. Does it fit or not? If not, don't do it. Is that a, is that a rocket science complicated thing to do? It's a very simple, very hard thing to do. Verse 10, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who strength, gives me strength. Now, we've almost all heard verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We usually hear that version, right? But people use it out of context. Oh, little eight-year-old girl, you could be president one day because you can do all things through the one who strengthens you. Is that what this is about right now? It is not talking about climbing to the top of the capitalist rat race. It's not talking about... Uh, uh, being successful in business or in, in life, setting goals for yourself, being ambitious. This is talking about the context, Paul writing from prison going, 
I can be satisfied in any circumstance. I can be satisfied with no food or plenty of food, no money, plenty of money. I've learned to be satisfied in every way of life because I can do anything because God gives me strength. He's talking about God enabling him to suffer, not succeed. He's writing from prison, suffering, being persecuted. He's saying, I can do this. I don't need your help. That's what he, this is the context of what he's saying. You've helped me, and I'm grateful for it, but I don't need it because I can do anything. I can get through anything because of what Jesus has done for me. It's not this prosperity gospel, American uh, capitalist thing. It's this suffering, third world mentality of I can get through anything because Christ is with me. That's what's going on here. Verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. So he's happy with them. He's been happy with them. They've been one of his favorite churches because they're always generous with their money. Verse 16. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. See, he's coming back to it again. I don't need it. I don't desire it. However, it's great that you gave it to me. Why? What I desire is that more be credited to your account. This is financial language, isn't it? Credited to an account. Think of there being a heavenly bank. Remember, Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and thieves break in and steal. Rather, build up treasures for yourself where? In heaven. The same notion is that there seems to be some kind of heavenly bank. I don't, don't go too far with this literally, but there seems to be a heavenly realm, we know that, where we can store up treasures. And the way to put treasures there is to give our earthly money to a godly purpose on earth, whether it's feeding the poor, caring for the poor, the least of these, or building up God's church in the world. These people have given money to Paul and the cause of Christ, and he says because of that, money has been credited to your account in heaven. Is that a wise thing to do? Absolutely. This whole world is going to burn away someday. The only people who are going to do well in the coming life are those who have put their stock not in this world, but in the next one. The way you do that is by supporting God and his people here and now. Verse 18. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So that fragrant offering, that's language from the Old Testament when people would sacrifice an animal and put it on the altar and burn it for God. The smell would, according to them, go up to heaven, and it was a fragrant offering, pleasing to God. He's saying the way you use your money now can be a fragrant offer and a pleasing thing to God. Now, it doesn't purchase your salvation. Only faith does that. But the good things that you do in Christ's name afterwards are a pleasing and acceptable sacrifice. Verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say wants, he says needs, doesn't he? Because you've been faithful, God will fulfill all your needs. Verse 21. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Apparently, he's been able to convert some people in Caesar's household. This is one of the things that makes people think this is Paul's last 
stint in prison where he's finally killed in Rome because Caesar's people are around him and that's where Caesar was based. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. That's a nice way to wrap things up. The, the whole book of Philippians is nice. He's happy. He gives us strength, but it's also disturbing because if Paul can be strong in prison, then the exhortation clearly here that he issues is, we should likewise be able to give thanks, rejoice always, no matter what our life circumstances are. And that's very difficult because sometimes we don't feel like it, right? Now, what, what is there to say to somebody? You know, a lot of people would just get done reading this book and just say, well, Paul, I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like living this way. What's there to say to a believer who loves Jesus, but they just don't want to live in this way? They just don't want to rejoice all the time and pray all the time. What's there to say to a person like that? I would say repent. Your heart isn't perfect yet. Okay, that's not a scandal. What is a scandal is if we say we love Jesus and we don't even try. The jig's up. None of us has been perfected in Christ yet. But are we even trying? Are we interested in being holy as Christ is holy? Are we interested in taking up our cross daily, denying ourselves and following Jesus? If so, the church is for you. If your heart has been hardened and you're stuck in a rut and you don't want to be any different than you are, then repent. And I believe God will show you. And he will give you the freedom you need to follow him as you ought. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn about the final judgment, hymn number 717, Battle Hymn of the Republic. One day you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will be judged according to what we've heard today.